Have you ever heard the theory that Filch is actually a poltergeist? If you haven't, you will now. Welcome to Belated Binge, the Harry Potter podcast that doesn't take itself or the books too seriously. I'm Zach, and I didn't read this until I was a grown-ass man, who certainly wouldn't have a job if I was threatening children with violence, especially if I worked at a school. Unless, of course, I wasn't a man at all. If I was, perhaps, a poltergeist? In this episode, I cover Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, ninth chapter, The Writing on the Wall. What's going on here? What's going on? Attracted no doubt by Malfoy's shout, Argus Filch came shouldering his way through the crowd. Then he saw Mrs. Norris and fell back, clutching his face in horror. The Belated Binge Podcast. Hi! And welcome to the Belated Binge Podcast. I'm Zach, your host, revisiting some of the most iconic series in recent memory that I was incredibly late on, like our current binge of Harry Potter, where despite being the same age as movie Harry, I didn't read this series through till my mid-twenties. That's the belated part. Now we're going back a chapter two at a time, picking it apart, deep diving what's on the page, speculating about what isn't, particularly Dumbledore's role and his master plan. What did he know? When did he know it, and the motivations guiding the story, and, of course, infusing as much sarcasm as humanly possible. That's the binge part. Together, they make the belated binge, and today we continue our reread of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets with Chapter 9, The Writing on the Wall. But, before we get into it, you know how this goes by now. This podcast will have spoilers. This series wrapped up in 2007. If you hadn't read them by now, you're even later than I was. This podcast will also have some adult language. You can buy them in the kids' section of the bookstore, but I didn't read them until I was a grown-ass man. Shout out to Alex, our newest free elf patron, who just joined this week, and will be getting a shout out every episode from here on out. Uh, We have a guest coming in two episodes, I believe, if my math is correct. And it's actually a double guest. You might be able to guess that it is co-hosts of uh, a podcast, uh, which just recently changed its name. And I love the new name. It's called For Fox Sake. They are a Harry Potter uh, movie and book compare and contrast podcast. So I'm excited to have them on here in a couple episodes. Uh, they will be joining for um, what chapter is it that they are coming in for? Come on, brain, think, think, don't fail me now. Oh, come on. Chapter 11. That's what it is. The Dueling Club. That's the one that they're going to uh, be joining. So I'm super excited about that. But we're not there yet. We're still in Chapter 9. And in case you were obliviated or got your Hogwarts letter late, let's shove our faces in that white liquidy substance of our Pensieve. Last episode, I was joined by Christina from the Restricted section to discuss Chapter 8, The Death Day Party, which had a lot more 
than just the death day party in it. Like, uh, crack it on Quidditch practice, a trip to the janitor's office, raining foreshad, uh, or, uh, vanishing cabinets, that's right. Uh, floppy wand pamphlets, awkward requests that Harry can't say no to, a cringeworthy ghost party, hearing voices, and racism from Draco Malfoy. Yeah. But before uh, we can get into this week's chapter, we need to close the book on last week completely by recapping our Expecto Plot Changeo. This is the part of the show where we theorize on what we would expect to change in our story if we made one small tweak to the plot of the chapter we are covering. In the last episode, I asked, what if Harry didn't find Filch's quickspell brochure? Does he still get out of trouble? Does it change anything that happens in the chapter? What about beyond? From my perspective, Harry almost completely completely fumbled here uh honestly nearly headless nick most certainly got peeves to cause a distraction with the intention that harry would run out of filch's office as soon as he left him alone duh but he didn't he stayed and if he didn't stumble onto this quick spell brochure filch would have probably come back and wrote him up now we can surely go back and forth about whether that actually means anything or not or if Dumbledore just takes those write-up slips and deposits them directly into a garbage can but we don't find out because Harry accidentally learned about Filch's floppy wand problem and he was embarrassed just enough to get Harry the hell out of his office without said write-up now if Harry didn't know about Quickspell does it really change anything else? I think it would. Because Filch wouldn't have immediately accused Harry of being the one who petrified Mrs. Norris. He just, without even a second between seeing the cat and, uh, I guess, internalizing his shock, he just points the finger right at Harry because Harry knows He's a squib, and he thinks that that's why Harry targeted Mrs. Norris to get back at Filch for being a squib. Does that actually matter at all to the story? Uh, Probably not on the surface. The trio was still discovered by seemingly the whole damn school at the scene of the crime, (laughs) Uh, so Filch probably just blames all three of them by simple happenstance you're here we found you it must have been you kind of logic right but peeling back a layer of the kind of surface obvious uh, answer I think psychologically a lot more people found it easier to suspect Harry right away to be the heir of Slytherin because Filch pointed the finger in his direction right out of the gate It's similar to the Justin Finch-Fletchley scene coming up in a bit. If Justin doesn't react the way that he does to Harry, maybe the whole school isn't as quick to just turn on him immediately thinking that he's the heir of Slytherin evil wizard boy. It, I don't know. It, 
it seems like such a little thing, but imagine this book without those two components. Does Harry still end up being suspected at all? Particularly by the whole school? Well, probably. And that wraps up our chat from last chapter. So, let's go ahead and get into this week's question for the Expecto Plot Changeo. And I swear, every time I think I'm ready for this, and for some reason or another, I'm actually not. But I am now. And this week's Expecto Plot Changeo question from Chapter 9 of Chamber of Secrets, The Writing on the Wall, is... What if Mrs. Norris wasn't petrified? What if she was actually killed? How could that change our chapter? How could that change our story? Let me know your thoughts to be included in the next episode of the podcast here or with a voicemail on my website, belatedbinge.com. This video will be posted on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, it's at Belated Binge across uh, the three of those. It will also be on TikTok, which is also at Belated Binge. You can, as I mentioned in the video, respond uh, with your own thoughts on any of those platforms, or you can use my website, click on the leave a voicemail icon, belatedbinge.com, and record your thoughts right there, and I will play them in the next episode. And quite frankly, that is the preferred <laughs> way of getting your responses because it's just a cool element and feature and I love that part of my website. I wish it was used more. Please use it. Thanks. So now we're going to dive into the events of this week's chapter with Priority Incan Chapter. We've reached the point where our wands connect, not the tips just the streams so we can recap what went down in the chapter we just read this week chapter nine of chamber of secrets the writing on the wall starts at the exact moment that our last chapter ended there's a group of students inexplicably gathered in the corridor the trio front and center and filch opens up the chapter making his way through the crowd after hearing draco screaming racial slurs i'm not I promise I, I don't do it. Don't I won't go down that tangent again. Uh, but he, he by he I mean Filch immediately sees his cat Mrs. Norris hanging on the wall, and he promptly starts freaking out. Immediately going after Harry. Apparently about to get violent with this kid, as you would expect all stable adults in jobs with close proximity to children would, or should. Right, but he stopped by Dumbledore, who was apparently just strolling along to find the man we're meant to believe is basically his janitor about to initiate a physical altercation with a 12-year-old student. Like a normal Tuesday in Hogwarts, I, I guess. Maybe it's Tuesday? I don't think it mentions. I kind of lose track of all days and time in these books. Anyway, this is the exact kind of activity... I would say, that brings 
a lot of credence to the Super Carlin brother theory that Christina and I mentioned just briefly in the last episode where they postulated that Filch is actually a poltergeist, like Peeves, which I will go into more in the Lumos segment of this episode because I find it very fascinating and intriguing and fun to just ramble about. Uh, Anyways, Dumbledore takes the trio and Filch away, and Lockhart, brown-nosing, jumps up, offering his office as a place to convene, obviously to just insert himself into the mix and try to feel important. Oh, and Dumbledore brought the cat. (laughs) So, just in your mind's eye, picture this group. We've got old-ass Dumbledore leading three students, a completely beside himself Filch, Lockhart, apparently Snape and McGonagall are lingering back there somewhere too, we find out, and all the while he's just, Dumbledore, I mean, carrying this lifeless, rigid cat in his arms, and in my mind, there's there's two ways to picture this. It's either this, like, really somber, and he's, like, delicately caressing Mrs. Norris as they make their way to Lockhart's office, being very careful not to bump the hat's head or even the tail on the walls or the door jams or anything along the way, or or there's the other way, which I prefer, and it's the funny scene. Dumbledore's leading the way, swinging Mrs. Norris by the tail while the kids are ducking from being hit in the head. Filch is nearly fainting in exasperation, and Dumbledore just can't seem to figure out why there's any commotion at all. He's just nonchalantly living his life, dreaming about lemon drops and whatever other weird candies that he's into. Snape and Lockhart are kind of grimacing at the cringiness. Dumbledore's remaining oblivious while Professor McGonagall is like trying to keep her shit together and the kids have no fucking clue what to do and I don't know I just I need that comic relief in the movies with Dumbledore's character not the like hitting Ron's broken leg kind of oblivious comedy this this is the oblivious comedy that I need from Dumbledore. It's a kind of quirkiness, whimsical, and he's not actually hurting the cat. He knows this, but he's also not being, like, overly sensitive and um, gentle. I don't know why. It makes me happy to just picture this. And now I've rambled long enough, and we're not even past, like, the second page of the chapter so uh we get to lockhart's office dumbledore is examining the cat lockhart is talking shit as usual filch is losing his kind of as usual too and dumbledore informs the group that the cat isn't dead it's just petrified and i wonder does someone or something petrified breathe Does it have a pulse? Are they, like, kind of otherwise dead, but not? Is it coma? I I imagine coma, but people in a coma still have... Don't they still, like, breathe on their own, or do they not? Do they have to... You know what? I don't don't know. I didn't take that health class, and I'm not going to 
pretend that I know what I'm talking about into that. I guess I'm just curious what the examination's really about. If if Mrs. Norris isn't dead, shouldn't it be fairly obvious, like, you know, check for a pulse? And if that's not the case and there's no pulse, like, what happens during that time that someone is petrified? Are they... Do they get older? Do they freeze? Do they, like... Yeah, I don't know. It opens up so many weird questions for for me. Uh, anyway, Filch is still convinced that Harry did it and is screaming at Dumbledore, shouting, like, I don't know. I, I'm going to do my own screaming in the form of a shout-out to Dumbledore's patience. He has, not just here, but he has multiple moments in this series where People are screaming at him or whatever, and he just kind of, like, stays super calm. Unless, of course, you watch the Goblet of Fire movie. But then Snape speaks up when nobody even realized his creepy ass was there and suggests, wrong place, wrong time, no big deal, right? A Snape apologist might even point this out as a moment that Snape was defending Harry. And then he opens his mouth again. And he starts interrogating them about why they weren't at the Halloween feast, and then why they went to that corridor, and why they were going to bed without eating, and blah 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 blah. Harry wasn't about to admit that he was hearing voices, because even in this wizarding world, he, I guess, has an instinct that, you know, hearing voices isn't great. Uh, so he just said that they were tired, they were going to bed, Snape presses on, and he... <laughs> For whatever reason, uh, in this, uh, not to be too, um, foreshadowy for our, uh, ridiculous segment, but this might come back up again. For whatever reason, Snape tries to get Harry taken off of the Quidditch team, or at least for the next game, and that's when we find out Professor McGonagall's there too, and she's not about to have her Quidditch team decimated by Snape, and eventually... Dumbledore just shuts the whole thing down with a simple statement of innocent until proven guilty. And, you know, the Death Eater inside of Snape was just completely snarling at this old man. So, Snape's pissed, Filch is pissed, Lockhart tries to insert himself and make the Mandrake draft, and Snape turns on him pissed, and it's all honestly really, really petty among all of these adults, and the trio are just thrilled to finally get dismissed and get the hell out of there, because they're caught in this weird grown-ups acting like children nonsense, and of course, they're going to have the emotional maturity of like 30-year-olds throughout this series, so the whole thing is just batshit. And we launch directly into them sneaking into an empty classroom, which, I, okay, why? They live together. They could just talk on the way back, and or in the common room. It's like midnight. It, it's not like it's going to be crowded, but uh, whatever. Harry's checking if he should have copped to hearing voices. Ron says no. Uh, they start wondering about the message on the wall in the chamber of secrets, and, and then Ron explains what a squib is. It's a quick little catch-up, really, and a little bit of world-building before bed, but it's kind of funny because it's at Filch's expense, and Filch sucks. Uh, so now it's time for the, the fallout. We get, we get kind of like a little montage of sorts in the chapter, letting us know that a few days have gone by, but the incident is obviously far, you know, from 
the rear view, if you will. Quite the opposite. It's all anyone's talking about. Filch is worse for wear. We get an exchange between Ron and Jenny as she's described as looking rough, pretty much. Uh, Hermione's maniacally reading, which, of course, she's trying to learn about the Chamber of Secrets, but, like, even Harry and Ron don't know what she's doing and why she's spending every waking second in the library. We get a mention of Justin Finch Fletchley as well, and he's ghosting Harry in the hallway, all creepy-like or weird. Um, Hermione explains that she can't find the Chamber of Secrets anywhere in the library and that she left her copy of Hogwarts of History at home. And apparently the library's out. And there's a waiting list because everybody wants the same book. And all I have to say is, you know that shit's not in there anyway. Like, anyway, um, whatever. It's all kind of fluffy with some Easter eggs hidden, which we're going to s- discuss in a bit. Uh, and then we get, we finally kind of get something new to chew on in history magic class. And this is taught by the ghost teacher, Professor Bins. If you're rereading the series and you forgot about Professor Bins, join the club. I totally forgot this ghost was there. Hermione talks him into telling the class about the legend of the Chamber of Secrets. And, of course, we we know how this goes. Um, and he's reluctant at first. I should I should mention that. He was not super stoked to go down this path in the first place. Um, but anyways, it's... The four founders of Hogwarts, they lived in harmony for the first few years. Soon after, Slytherin wanted to only teach those worthy to study magic, you know, aka purebloods, and there was a fight about it, it got weird, and he left. That's pretty much the gist. Uh, The legend also says that he created a secret chamber with a monster inside of it that only Slytherin's direct heir could find open, and unleash or control the monster. The kids are enamored. The whole class is just on the edge of their seat. They're super into this, and Ben's pissed because according to him, there's no evidence that Slytherin ever hid even, I believe he says, a secret broom cupboard in the castle. And uh, But I think he's also a little bit pissed that they actually care about this and they literally never care about his class. Um, So now they go back to sleep because he's done talking about it. So then the trio are, you know, they're recounting the story and Ron and Hermione are in lockstep that they just couldn't fathom if the Sorting Hat tried to put them in Slytherin. And of course it's worded that way because that's, exactly what happened to Harry. The hat did try to put him in Slytherin, and no matter how good of an argument I made back in that chapter is why that plot point never made any sense, if you're new around here, you're welcome to go back to that episode of last season and listen to it, but Harry never told Ron and Hermione about that little exchange with the hat, and it doesn't go down like it does in the movie where the whole freaking school can hear it. But why? Why didn't Harry confide this in them? Was it shame? Was it fear? Does he think that perhaps his friends would look at him differently? Would they judge him 
be on guard for racist or evil tendencies around him? Or did we just need to set up this particular plot point? Uh, I don't know. Whatever the reason is, he's definitely not mentioning that shit now. Uh, And that's when they run into Colin Creevy, who informs Harry of what he already suspects, and that the rumor is already going around, even though they just left that class. They're like in the hallway, right? Like they just walked out of the room and apparently the whole school already thinks that Harry is the heir of Slytherin. And as our trio are discussing whether there's even a chamber at all, Hermione starts postulating about whatever petrified Mrs. Norris not being human. She gets there because Dumbledore couldn't cure her. And that has her kind of weird. Um, and they are in the middle of this when they just kind of happen to find themselves completely coincidentally stumbling, stumbling <laughs> upon the very corridor that everything went down. And of course, Harry wants to play detective. Hermione points out some strange spider behavior, and that's where we learn about Ron's fear of spider. And we learn why. And it's hilarious because it's Fred's fault. Apparently when Ron was three, which makes Fred what? Five? The twins are two years ahead of the trio, right? I think my math is right there. And apparently Ron had broken Fred's toy broom, so Fred turned Ron's bear that he was holding into a spider. And this has to be spontaneous, uncontrollable, magical outburst type shit, right? Because the first time I read through this series, I thought that this was supposed to be Fred, like, being a dick about Ron breaking his toy. But he's not old enough to have done this on purpose. He wouldn't have a wand. This has to just be a weird, like... Fred's rage and this is how the magic came out and it just so happened to turn into like Ron's biggest fear in life crazy how that shit happens and then they remember the water on the floor because sure that's something you just remember and they trace it to moaning Myrtle's bathroom and they're in there and she's questioning them about why there are boys in here and that seems to be a big thing in this chapter. Uh, yeah, It's a girl's toilet. Ron and Harry can't go in there. That's not even an accent. I don't know what that's about. Um, but she's questioning them. They're questioning her about if she saw anything weird that night. And she's, I'm just going to say, super annoying. And that's about as lovingly as I can put it. Ron finally succeeds in offending her and she whatever dives down a toilet and as soon as they walk out of the bathroom ron is screamed at not by harry or hermione it was percy completely pissed that ron was in a girl's bathroom and that they're anywhere near this crime scene but this isn't pompous percy I was shocked when I reread this part because in this reread I noticed that this is actually an older brother worried about his little brother. 
He talks about how he tried to ensure Ginny, who'd been crying her eyes out that Ron and his friends weren't guilty, but she's convinced they're going to get expelled, and he doesn't want them up here making it look suspicious that they're, like, digging into this thing or whatever, and then Ron fights back, and Ron accuses him of only caring about his own chances at becoming head boy. And Percy takes points away from Gryffindor. Which I can't even believe that I'm saying this. But I don't think that Percy's response was his normal pompous self. I think this response and taking points away from Gryffindor in the moment, I think this is a reaction to being hurt. He's hurt by Ron's comment. Here he is trying in the way that he thinks he best can authoritatively of course but he's trying to protect Ron and Ron attacks his motivations I'd be hurt too and pissed what's this little 12 year old shit know anyway I'm just gonna try to look out for him and he's gonna come at me with this stuff five points from Gryffindor sorry I got a little carried away Back in the common room, the trio steer widely clear of Percy, and they start speculating that Draco could be the heir of Slytherin. And this is where they start devising their plan to question him under the disguise of Polyjuice Potion. Of course, Hermione has to explain all of this because we don't know what it is, they don't know what it is, and by they I mean Ron and Harry. But luckily, it's going to be used about 1,476 times throughout this series, so we'll never forget it exists again. And the plan starts with needing a note from a teacher to get the right book from the restricted section of the library. And that's where the chapter ends, bringing us to... This episode is brought to you by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Explainiarmus. It's time to disarm your reluctancy and explain how you can support this podcast. Belated Binge is a fully independent production. I read the books, write the script, record the episode, edit the recording, pick and produce the sounds, manage the content schedule, manage social media, promote the podcast, and feed producer Jack. Any costs from equipment to software to website development, marketing, any of that comes out of my pocket. And despite how many times I've been told we look alike? I'm no Harry Potter. No half giant has ever taken me to a bank full of cash and said, hey, you're rich. Having a podcast takes a lot and it's not easy. So your support is literally the only thing that keeps the show going. And there are a few key ways you can support the podcast. First, word of mouth is absolutely huge. If you enjoy the show, please tell everyone of your Potterhead friends to give it a shot. Also, 
Many of the pod players now support a rating and review function. Apple, Spotify, Good Pods, Podchaser, just to name a few. And it takes about four seconds to leave a five-star rating on the app. This can be greatly impactful. If you have more than four seconds and the app that you're using supports written reviews, that's even better. Think about how reliant we are on reviews. Whether you're buying something new or deciding what book to read next, we're always looking at ratings and reviews to weigh into our decision. Podcasts are no different, and your positive review could be the difference in someone discovering the show and deciding to give it a chance. Another great way to support the show is engaging in the conversation yourself, whether it be answering the specific questions I pose during the show or on social media. Maybe you just have a theory of your own or you want to leave some feedback. I'd love to hear from you and maybe even share it on the podcast. You can submit your thoughts by leaving a voicemail on the website, belatedbinge.com. Just click the little leave a voicemail icon on the page that you visit. If you don't like the sound of your own voice, you can also respond in written form by using the contact form on the website, leaving comments or DMs on social media. My handle is belatedbinge across Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. And you can also email belatedbinge at gmail.com. The final and perhaps most impactful form of support is to become a patron on Patreon. I've made a ton of updates to Patreon membership benefits this season and some goals to shoot for as well. There are currently six tiers available designed to fit any budget level ranging from $1 to $20 with all the bells and whistles. So Benefits range from early access to ad-free versions of the show, recognition on the website, bonus episodes, patron shoutouts, show prep notes, insider participation, binge award participation, input on show content and future benefits, a drawing for a physical gift sent from me to you and others. I've also set some growth goals that will unlock new benefits for existing tiers and maybe even adding some more stuff as we go. The first goal is to get 10 total patrons, at which point I will start a patrons Discord server. However you choose to support the show, thank you. I truly appreciate it. Now, let's get you back into the flow of the episode. Lumos. Lumos. Let's pull out our wands and light the tips, but we're not blowing smoke. We're here to illuminate. Well, let's talk about Filch for a minute. Uh, Let me rewind you back uh, just a little bit to how this chapter started. He sees his cat hanging on the wall and starts freaking out, immediately going after Harry, apparently about to get violent with this kid, as all stable adults should. Remember when I said that earlier? But then he's stopped by Dumbledore from physically assaulting a child. I, I said that too. And then I said this. This is the kind of shit that brings credence. Huh? Credence? Fantastic beasts? Huh, huh, huh. Aurelius! What a dumb plotline. Anyway, uh, this, is, this is the kind of shit that brings credence to the Super Carlin brother theory that Christina and I were talking about in last episode where they theorize that Filch is actually a poltergeist. Just like Peeves, but like the complete opposite. 
where Peeves is a manifestation of rule-breaking at Hogwarts and that energy of kind of mischievous children, a la Fred and George energy, Filch is a manifestation of rule-following and, I guess, the energy of children who are on the straight and narrow and don't like it when people break the rules, a la Percy. But the reason I say this and why I think this type of scene really brings really brings that theory to life for me personally is his, the short temper that Filch has and these like violent tendencies. We see more of it, this weird infatuation with physically harming children in the Order of the Phoenix. We, we saw it in the first book in Sorcerer's Stone when he's you know, taking the uh, taking him out to the forest and he's uh, talking about how it's what am I trying to say and I for some reason right in this moment I can't remember how it's written exactly in the books but I do remember the movie portrayal of it and so since that's a fairly decent adaptation particularly for this series um you know it it sticks out in my brain how he the one line specifically that the actor delivers where he's like, oh, I miss the screaming. That kind of shit. That kind of shit. That's the kind of shit that I'm talking about here. Uh, and in Order of the Phoenix with uh, with Umbridge in charge, like he's, he's talking about wanting to hang children by chains. Like, I, it's craziness. He wants to whip them. He wants to, like, physically abuse children. Dumbledore wouldn't employ this guy. He would have been fired so long ago if he could be fired. In my mind, even Dumbledore's whimsical, quirky ass wouldn't allow a janitor with involvement in punishment to do this job if they got off on the idea of torturing children. But if you notice... As many references the Filch character makes to wanting to punish the kids, we never actually see it happen. Not that I can remember. He monitors some detentions, and he escorts them to detention, and he oversees some of the punishments that are set by teachers. But I can't remember a single time that he actually is the authoritative figure that punishes the student I could be wrong we're only you know halfway through the second book rereading this series I could have forgotten something but I can't remember one for my money there's something to the theory he didn't punish them because he couldn't because he wasn't an actual employee he wasn't even an actual person it was a poltergeist. But if it was a poltergeist, could he, could it, have actually done anything to the students? Like, physically? Like, I, I'm, I'm asking, what are the limitations to the interaction that poltergeists can have with physical and living objects with how they're not living but they're also not ghosts you know i guess we know we know that peeves could interact with the physical world and do shit like drop 
giant vanishing cabinets, which also brings up uh, how strong are these things? Did Peeves, like, carry that shit over his head or just, like, push it over? And if they are super strong and can physically manipulate objects, what about the interaction with human form? I know we get weird shit where, like, Peeves is farting in kids' faces and he's dancing and he's singing to them and he's flying around them and he's really annoying... But I can't remember a moment where he actually physically touches a student. And it makes me wonder if he could, or it could, sorry, if Peeves, as a poltergeist, it could have actually made physical contact with a student. I don't know. If they can, and they're super strong, maybe Filch is even scarier? <laughs> If he can actually physically touch a student and has super strength and is apparently a sadist, like, that's terrifying. But aside from that, what's what's the thing with Mrs. Norris? Like, why, why would she take to Filch so well or so closely if Filch is a poltergeist? You know, I know there's those other theories out there where, like, um where Mrs. Norris is actually an animagus that got stuck, or is perhaps a, um, what's the thing that they say that Nagini had? Oh, gosh, this is fantastic beast canon, but it's the, oh, the the maledictus um, thing, where they are doomed to turn into an animal... Like, they basically have an animagus form throughout life, but eventually it's going to take them over. Like, they're going to turn into that animal and never be able to turn back. It's like a blood curse or whatever from birth. Um, but there's a theory that it's it, that Mrs. Norris is possibly one of those two things, the animagus gone wrong or the maledictus uh, version, and was actually... Filch's wife and that's why they're so close and have this type of relationship that they have in the human with cat form but obviously that doesn't hold up if if Filch is a poltergeist so I don't know I I guess it I guess your answer to one theory is kind of your belief in the other possibly if you really subscribe to the Mrs. Norris animagus gone wrong maledictus type of theory, you probably don't think Filch is a poltergeist. If you think that Filch is actually a poltergeist, the opposite of Peeves, and really a a manifestation of the castle, and not a living, breathing human never was a living, breathing human, you probably don't think that Mrs. Norris was ever Filch's wife. So that's fun. I guess I, let me know what you think. You can, you know, is there anything to this? Or do you lean one way or another with those two theories? I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, and again, shout out to Super Carlin Brothers for the theory that kind of took us down this rambling rabbit hole to begin with. Um, so let's do some divination. 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 
It's time to highlight four moments in the chapter that foreshadow something to come in the future. First, Ginny Weasley seemed very disturbed by Mrs. Norris's, Mrs. Norris's fate. According to Ron, she was a great cat lover. That was a quote from the early in the chapter. And then we get more with her later with Percy about how she was very upset, crying her eyes out to Percy about how Ron and the trio were going to get expelled. And this is all just a kind of combined foreshadow of what we talked about in the last episode with Christina, how Ginny's not doing good. And this is really where we start getting peppered in more and more and more uh, about her character and about what she's going through in this year. You know, in chapter eight, the um, the death day party, we get one quick little hint, one quick little uh, mention of Ginny and her and her current state, and it's kind of hidden in she might have the flu or a cold or whatever because all the students are sick. But now in this chapter, we're really starting to get it. The the author is really starting to lay it out that she's not doing well this year. And it's sort of red herring. I guess maybe it's a red herring. Um, maybe that's how you say that. Like trying, trying to lead us down the trail of, uh, Ginny is just really upset with what's going on because of how it, you know, she loves cats and how it could affect her family. And she's just not, uh, she's scared about the Chamber of Secrets and all of this stuff when really we know she's losing time and she's been being possessed by a teenage diary Voldy soul Tom Riddle and she's the one that's actually doing all this stuff and she's I think at this part we're meant to well we're not meant to but at, on a reread we can see she's starting to put that shit together in her own head and it's freaking her out. Two, after a hurried lunch, he went upstairs to meet Ron in the library and saw Justin Finch Fletchley, the Hufflepuff boy from Herbology, coming toward him. Harry had just opened his mouth to say hello when Justin caught sight of him, turned abruptly, and sped off in the opposite direction. Again, another direct quote from the chapter, and this is a pretty clear foreshadow with Justin Finch Fletchley that he is afraid of Harry, it's foreshadowing the school's rumor and belief that Harry is the heir of Slytherin that's going to come very, very quickly uh, in this chapter, but also it's kind of a foreshadow to the Dueling Club chapter where Justin Finch Fletchley becomes center of attention for one very, very angry snake and how everything goes down there, which we're not going to get into too deeply because, like I said, we have that in two chapters from now and we'll have, for Fox's sakes, with us uh, to talk through that whole debacle because let me tell you, I have feelings on that one. Three, the bell rang. Ron and Hermione led the way to history of magic bickering. And this foreshadow is just kind of fun. We've got a lot of dark shit in this chapter in particular with these foreshadows. A lot of dark, a lot of a lot of plot happening, a lot of um a lot of fear in the castle right now. So I kind of really like this little just dropped in 
foreshadow Easter egg of Ron and Hermione bickering at each other because not only are we going to get that for um, five books after this, uh, it's also what I imagine their relationship is like into adulthood when they're married and have kids and happily ever after constantly bickering. Foreshadow number four, another quote, Dumbledore couldn't cure Mrs. Norris. And that makes me think that whatever attacked her might not be, well, human. Hermione said that. And she's absolutely right. It's a foreshadow to what Slytherin's monster actually is, which we all should honestly have caught on to much sooner. Maybe some people did when they were reading this, but I don't believe I was one of them the first time I read this book. I wasn't seeing Giant Snake slithering through the pipes and coming out of sinks and toilets and stuff. I, 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 that's not what I thought was going to... How Where we were going with this. I'm just going to say that. But that's where we're headed. It's a giant snake attacking. And that is why Dumbledore can't cure with just, you know, his own simple magic these petrifications because they're from a freaking basilisk. This cat's lucky to be alive, and so will the humans be coming up. And that's it for foreshadowing uh, with this one. So let's give away some house points. house points. In true Hogwarts fashion, these points are completely subjective, with no oversight, and they're fully at my discretion. This week, I'm giving house points to Dumbledore getting five for saving Harry from Filch's wrath uh, in this chapter. I'm going to give Hermione five as well for... I'm, I'm just going to wrap everything up that she does in this chapter and say for being smart, as usual. Percy. Yeah, I said that. Percy. I'm giving points to Percy, which I never thought was going to happen. I'm actually giving him 10 for trying to protect his little brother and caring for his baby sister in his own brand, of course, but still, sibling love. Now it's time to take away some house points, and I'm going to take away 15 from Dumbledore for employing Filch. If we assume that Filch is not actually a poltergeist, then Filch is an employee of this school and is a sadist, and Dumbledore lets him keep working there. That's worth 15 points, I think. Uh, Snape is losing 5 for, well, just for being a dick. Uh, Filch is losing 50 for literally every moment he exists in this chapter because he's awful the whole time. Uh, and Ron. Ron is going to lose 5 points for being a dick to Percy, which is... Like I said, a stance I never thought I I was ever going to take. I will add these points uh, and subtract them in the right cases to my nerdy spreadsheet as soon as I create it and tally them up for the end of this season's Bingy Awards episode. Before we go, we have to acknowledge the moments in this episode, well, in this chapter, I don't know why I tend to say in this episode, because really, it's the chapter 
that has these moments, the episode, we're just talking about them. So, before we go, let's acknowledge the moments in this chapter that were utterly ridiculous. ridiculous. It's not an episode of The Binge if we don't call out what didn't make any sense. Starting with, well, okay, before we even get into stuff, there were a lot for me. I have a lot of gripes about this chapter, uh, and we've talked about a lot of it already. Uh, I think if you need to think back or rewind back to earlier in the episode, if I say something along the lines of whatever, or yeah, okay, uh, sure, things like that, pretty safe to assume that it's going to end up here. So we're going to go through this one pretty quick and move on with our day. Filch threatening a student with violence and still having a job, assuming he's not a poltergeist, obviously, uh, as I've mentioned now multiple times, is ridiculous. Uh, So is him screaming at Dumbledore and Dumbledore just letting that go. Snape trying to slide in and get Harry kicked off of Quidditch during this legit life and death kind of serious situation and we're supposed to give a shit about Quidditch. Because... Quidditch, I guess. Ridiculous. How quickly the school blames Harry for being the heir of Slytherin is ridiculous and is only going to get worse as the book goes on. How the trio just stumbles onto the scene of how where this all went down like it's some kind of happy accident. Ridiculous. Remembering water on the floor from that what ridiculous i don't there's there's a lot here um that just screams book written for children and that my just ancient ass shouldn't be reading nearly as close as i am but that's just some of them and i'm gonna leave it at that with that we have reached the end of this episode of belated binge as always shout out to producer jack who i work like a dog remember to follow and subscribe to the show on whatever podcast player you're using right now and if it supports a rating and review option please leave one you have no idea how much that can possibly help and if you're so inclined go to patreon patreon.com slash belated binge and check out the additional benefits that i have there there are some bonus episodes that are banked there um and a whole bunch of stuff that you can get by signing up for patreon i also have a goal of getting to 10 total patrons and at which point i will start a discord server and i would just really love uh to have your uh, uh you know uh support over there and honestly i would love to do <laughs> Uh, the things that are promised as benefits there. Uh, so go ahead and give that a give it a gander if you would. Patreon.com slash belated binge. If you're reading along, next episode we will cover chapter 10 of Harry Potter in the Chamber of Secrets, the Rogue Bludger. Until then, I'll see you next time on the Belated Binge Podcast. Hard to see why we'd want the book, really, said Ron, if we weren't going to try to make one of the potions. I think, said Hermione, 
that if we made it sound as though we were just interested in the theory, we might stand a chance. Oh, come on. No teacher's gonna fall for that, said Ron. They'd have to be really thick. Thank you.